Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. If you're not a malicious soul, help out by hitting the like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our first story of the day is by Bobby Wing. I'm not paying for your injury. Take it to court. Okay. Back when I was 20, I worked at a motorhome manufacturer. It was pretty small with around 20 people in total. I had a go at all aspects of the job before settling on the joinery shop where all the wood was cut by CNC machine and either prepped for the main workshop or pre-assembled where possible. Part of the prep work involved putting rubber edging onto exposed edges of wood. And to do this, you have to cut a groove into the edge for the edging to slot into. To put this groove in, we used a handheld router with a slotting bit, but the router was mounted under our workbench with the bit sticking out of a hole. As it was a handmade piece of equipment, it didn't have any safeguards on it, so you can probably see where this is going. I was slotting a large piece of ply when my hand slipped off the top and into the blade. When I pulled away and looked, I realized the tip of my middle finger was hanging off from about three-fourths of the way down my nail and my index and ring finger were badly cut too. I was alone in the joinery building, so I had to go get help in a lift to the hospital. Went to the hospital where they managed to reattach my finger minus the bone and took five weeks off work while I recovered. When I did return, it was with a plastic guard while the healing finished. About a week later, when the owner and I were both in, I went to his office to talk. I had initially intended to just ask for my lost wages, which were about 1200 British pounds at the time. But as soon as I entered and asked, can we talk, I was immediately hit with, if you're coming to ask for money, you can forget it, go see a solicitor. Not even a, how are you recovering, are you okay, etc. I tried to be rational, but he wasn't having any of it. So I did just that, went to a no-win, no-fee lawyer and after some back and forth, was awarded £6,000. Beyond that though, the HSE, Health and Safety Executive, paid a visit and found numerous risks and violations. Fire exits were blocked, first aid training was well out of date, wires were run across the floor to permanent workstations with no trip protection, etc. The owner got a thorough telling off and was ordered to bring the safety standards in line with recommendations. This obviously led to a bad atmosphere at work, so I started looking for another job which was for the best, as the company went into administration after a mix of paying people to undertake the required changes and the motorhome market taking a wobble. I was made redundant, but at least received redundancy pay from HMRC and walked into another job that following week. The owner declared bankruptcy, but reopened under a different company name and under someone else's name, his wife I think. I'm kind of glad he kept going through, as apparently safety standards did change and a lot of people kept their jobs, with some redundant people returning after he built himself back up. Do you think you can look at OP's story here and feel at all positive about being the catalyst to improve the safety regulations and operating procedures at a place like this? Or considering every other bit of your experience doesn't make it just not worth it at all? Let me know what you guys think in the comments down below. Our next story is by Kanos Ilium, Hot Pink. 
This is not my story, but rather my best friend's, and I had the pleasure of witnessing this all play out. Call him Dave for this story, not his real name. He's a friendly giant standing about 6 foot 6 and isn't slim either. Back in 2018, I was in Job Corps. For those of you who haven't heard of it, it's a program for low-income young adults to stay on campus and learn a trade. For this story, we were in computer tech. By this time, we'd both received our certifications and were waiting to complete, which they would often keep you there for several months while waiting for paperwork to be finished. In actuality, they had a monthly quota to reach and would spread people out so they had a steady stream of people finishing and wouldn't have their numbers go down. We had been there for approximately nine months at this point, and during that time, he had introduced me to Magic the Gathering. He would bring a large canvas shoulder bag to hold his various decks that we would play during class as we often had little else to do. It was a go-at-your-own-pace style class setting that we'd finished relatively quick, so we would help others when they had questions. One day, the trade manager, Karen for this story, decided to visit our class and found us playing our game in the side room. She was furious and asked us why we weren't working, and we explained that we had nothing else to do. She saw Dave's large carrying bag and decided to take issue with it. She explained to us with a sarcastic, I'm sorry, that's against policy, while putting on a sad pity face and yet still smiling. After this, we decided to go through our policy book to find a loophole. Once he returned from weekend pass, the plan was set. We would have a meeting every Monday in the auditorium where the campus headmaster would be present. It was to talk about ongoing problems and to set new rules. That day, the Karen brought up the rule about large bags and how anyone who disobeyed would be written up. Three write-ups get you terminated. We had a reputation for being well-behaved students and as such had a great relationship with the headmaster. After the meeting, as everyone was flocking out, Dave approached the lectern in the center of the auditorium. Karen was standing next to the headmaster, and as he was about halfway over, she noticed this large, hot pink purse that he'd strung over his shoulder. It stood out quite a bit in contrast to the black and blue uniform of computer tech. She began storming towards him, screeching about the rule and how he was going to be written up. Calm and undeterred, he explained to her that purses were a special exception in the rule book and as such, he was in compliance with policy. He then pointed out several female CNA students that also carried purses and asked why there wasn't an issue with theirs. She was speechless. Her mouth was left hanging open mid-snarl for a solid five seconds. The headmaster finally made it over and politely asked what the issue was, as Dave was obviously in compliance with the dress code. She said something unintelligible in his direction before storming off. That was the last time she gave us any issue, and honestly, she was more respectful in our interactions after that point. I'm sure the headmaster had a word with her. He continued to carry that purse for the remainder of our time there, and it became a running joke. We soon completed, and Dave went on to get a further Cisco certification at another job corps. Last year, Dave came out as trans and is now attending college. It's a story that we often bring up, and she has a good laugh over. I won't give her new name, but it starts with a V. I'm wondering if Karen didn't inspire V to do something that they might have been wanting to do for a while by carrying that big hot pink purse around. And if so, I think that's kind of unapologetically awesome. Like not only is it the perfect malicious compliance, but it's also like secretly wholesomely satisfying for V. Our next story is by Teflon Jacket. You write poor code and never fix anything. 
I used to work for an IT services company working on a central government contract. We would develop the code, unit test it, and then hand it off to a dedicated test team who would test and sign off on the code before going to production. Once in production, the jobs would be monitored and responded to by a dedicated support team. The support team were all ex-government employees transitioned to the services company as part of the contract. They never developed any code themselves, but were happy to point fingers at anyone else to make themselves feel superior. The production system was massive and made up of many moving parts. Code releases were also based on dates pulled out of thin air rather than being based on requirements or development times. As such, defects were inevitable. Defects were graded 1 to 5, with 1 being critical, and 5 only being addressed if 1 through 4 were all gone. Category 5 were things like, clicking this button takes 5 seconds instead of 3. This meant that anything with a 5 was never looked at. The support team monitored production jobs out of hours. If a job failed, the first responder would be called. This meant a $50 call-out fee for him. He would then call someone else on his team to address the issue. This meant a $50 call-out fee for him also. A particular job had an issue where the underlying requirement was not clear and it would fail at 10 p.m. each day due to an unexpected value. The fix was to click restart and the job would recover itself and continue without any further failures. As this required no real intervention and didn't impact users, it was labeled with a 5. The support team liked this as it meant an extra $350 a week for the lead and $350 a week for the support guy just for one of them to click a button at the same time each night. This had been happening for the previous two years, government, and netted them about $35,000 each in support payments so far. Malicious Compliance After a large release filled with incomplete requirements and unrealistic deadlines, we were called to a multi-team meeting to discuss the number of defects and how to reduce them. The support team leader took this opportunity to brown-nose leadership and tell everyone how it was all the development team's fault. Because we wrote poor code and never fixed anything, and how his team were carrying us and having to respond to regular out-of-hours outages. We were blindsided by this, and I was particularly annoyed, because we were already under undue pressure and didn't need this muppet making things worse. I knew about the 10pm job and knew they were milking it, so I raised a new fake defect and labeled it as a Category 3, and linked it to roughly the same area as the Category 5 10pm failure. I fixed the 10pm failure code by basically editing an if statement so it would continue instead of failing. It took no more than 10 keystrokes. The new code was deployed, but I didn't tell the support team. The next day, I got a call from the team lead saying there was a problem with the 10pm job as it didn't fail the night before, so it must not have processed all of the data. He continued with, we should test the code more thoroughly kind of speech when I stopped him mid-sentence and said, Oh, that code! I noticed a problem when I was fixing something else, so I made a change to stop it from failing. I didn't want to keep bothering you guys. He didn't know what to say, so I said goodbye and hung up. If he hadn't been a Muppet, I would have let him keep his cash cow. But he chose poorly, and the cash cow vanished. Well, frankly, a person who was in a leadership position who was willing to overlook a bug because they could personally keep making an extra $350 a week off of that bug by not fixing it? probably has an ongoing tendency to be a Muppet. This next story is by Tachi Queen, 
Won't honor the contract? Fine. Hope you like hot pink duct tape. Many years ago, I was an elected union president at a Fortune 500 company, but I was only in charge of one contracted group. As such, the bargaining power of the main company was much higher than my own, but even they couldn't intervene too much. My group's contract switched from company A to company B in 2012, but the contract remained unchanged. Company B inherited all of the contract requirements of company A and agreed to meet them, but opted to fight me on several minor clauses when it came down to it. Most were solved without much conflict, but the major sticking point was in regard to uniforms. Our contract ensured that we were given an allowance to pay for new uniforms and vouchers for steel toe boots every year. When it came time for our new vouchers, they refused, citing that they'd given us a slight raise, which should offset the cost of the boots. I informed them that a cost of living raise didn't void the portion of the contract requiring them to provide vouchers for shoes, to which they responded they just hadn't figured out how to provide vouchers yet. After assurances they would provide the vouchers as soon as they could work it out, I dropped the issue. Unsurprisingly, months later, they still hadn't provided vouchers for replacement shoes. It should be noted that this was a very large campus, and many of us walked several miles a day in these shoes, and the shoes were caked with chemicals and dirt and started to look pretty vile within a year. We had to wear the same work shoes in office areas, and we had started to get complaints. I decided to lean into this. This is where malicious compliance begins. No new shoes? Fine, I'll rig them up to last longer. I went out and bought several rolls of the flashiest and most obnoxious duct tape I could find. I began to repair holes in my shoes with duct tape and extra fabric to the point that my hot pink shoes became easily recognizable. The safety team for the main company was so amused they gifted me hot pink safety glasses and gloves to match. I also lent out my gaudy duct tape collection to any employee needing to upgrade their shoes. Suddenly, the complaints about our dirty shoes were replaced by complaints about obviously duct tape shoes. Whenever we were asked, we'd tell both the union and non-union co-workers that it was a small protest against the refusal to honor the shoe vouchers in the contract. The next year rolls around, and still no shoe vouchers, but suddenly our uniform allowance was increased around $150 to allow for new steel-toed shoes to be purchased. After speaking to the union members, I agreed to allow that in place of the vouchers. I kept my duct tape collection permanently on display as a threat and would use it anytime safety equipment wasn't being replaced and required repair. Frankly, this is the kind of stuff you just have to do if they're going to be ridiculous and shortchange you, especially if you're in a situation with a union and you know that you're in the right here. It's probably not something that they can realistically hold out on, and it's good that at least a year later they were able to add more money into the uniform allowance. To me, it kind of seems like maybe a lie as far as not being able to get the shoe vouchers out, like not being able to figure a way to do it. I think they just look to skip a year and save some money. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.